I think I'm all right. You're tired. You need coffee, Nui? You want Kathy to make some? All right. I don't want you to be tired. You need some of my monster, you let me know. <laughs> you want some? You sure? I'll give it. I'm, I share. <laughs> it doesn't, it, you don't mind if I gargle in it, do you? All right, we're in Isaiah 26. When we look at <clears throat> Isaiah 24, Isaiah 24 was what's called Isaiah's little apocalypse. Uh, it's, it's dealing with uh, the eschaton, which when we talk about the eschaton, remember we're talking about um, the return of Christ, the day of the Lord, a day of vindication and judgment, uh, vindication for God's people, judgment for the wicked. And so that's a common theme all the way through the Old Testament as we continue to go. When we looked at 25, 25 talks about the feast. So if you read Revelation, you know that after the day of the Lord, Revelation chapter 19, have the battle of Armageddon. After that, you have the feast, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's two dinners talked about in Revelation uh, 19 and 20. One is the feast of the great God, wherein you are the meal. That doesn't seem like a good one to be at. Uh, and you have the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is for... So you have the same kind of idea. A judgment for the wicked, an ungodly uh, vindication for, for the godly, for the righteous. So that's Isaiah 24. Isaiah 25 follows that model. Isaiah 26 then comes into the song, Judah's song. It's a song that, uh, that Judah's going to sing because of God's deliverance. So we have like a... My, my wife told me not to use this word, but I don't know another word that works for it. So you have a, a microcosm in the existence of the nation of Israel. They're going through a picture of the eschaton on a big scale. So when we look at Israel, it's happened multiple times, twice in Israel's existence. They were conquered by Babylon, right? They went into captivity for 70 years. That's a little picture of the day of the Lord, judgment for the wicked, the righteous, uh, in that case, go to captivity, but they don't die. They get to come back and try again. Then 70 AD, it happens again, right? 70 AD, they, the, the same thing happens to Rome. In, in right before Babylon, right before the Babylonian captivity, you have Assyria. So Assyria comes north, to, or yeah, Assyria comes north from the north to conquer Judah. And as they come to Judah, the big question when we get to about chapter 35, 34 of Isaiah is, are you going to trust God? So you've had all these prophecies from Isaiah telling you how to be transformed, right? One through six, how to be transformed. Chapter six is the key, right? Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. What did God do? Touch his lips. God purged him of his sin. That's how an individual is transformed. What about a nation? How's a nation get transformed? Well, you have the next several chapters dealing with the, the giving of a child, right? The Messiah, the, the king that's promised that's going to come. You have a picture of the apocalypse, right? The judgment of God where God's going to judge all the wickedness, all evil one day is going to be judged, right? But you have little examples of it. I guess what I'm trying to say, you have a little example of here. God judged wicked, delivered the righteous. God judged wicked, delivered the righteous. God judged wicked, delivered the righteous. On that day, on the final eschaton, that's the end, right? Revelation says that the heavens rolled up like a scroll. So that's it. That's the end of tomorrow's. So heavens roll up, there's a new heaven, new earth, and we'll figure it, that part out when we get there. Okay, but your every little small picture is an example or illustration of the big concept that one day God's going to destroy evil. Okay, That day will come. So in 26, you have the Judah singing the song, the song for God's deliverance. And they're going to experience that deliverance when Assyria comes. In the 30s, we'll see Assyria come, Hezekiah bring the prayer before the Lord, saying, uh, here comes Assyria, uh, what are we going to do? We're going to trust in you, Lord. Here's what they say about you. It's up to you. You save us or don't. The Lord sends one angel. One angel delivers the people. 
they're delivered from Assyria. But they continue in their wickedness, what's going to happen? Well, Babylon. Well, they come back after 70 years. If they continue in their wickedness, what's going to happen? Rome. Now we start to look at the big picture, okay? Now Israel has ceased to be a nation. Now, now they're, they're just coming back. They're coming back into the land. A lot of people look at that as a, a clock, like the clock started ticking again. I don't, I don't know why it would not have been ticking all along, because God's still judging evil and still talking about delivering the righteous. So what happens if we continue to be wicked? What's the point of the story? The point of the story is one day God's going to set it all right. There will be vindication of, the, of his people. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, you have the martyrs under the throne. Fifth seal, the martyrs cry out, How long, O Lord, until you're going to vindicate our blood? What did God say? Just a little longer. Just a little longer till the number of the people who will die as you have are complete. So <clears throat> that's the, the word that God gives to the martyrs underneath the altar. All I know is by the sixth seal, all the people are screaming, here comes the wrath of the Lamb. So, so that point will come. That vindication will come. So God does judge wickedness. God will judge evil. And God will deliver the righteous. And so we, we come to this song. Some of this should seem familiar. D- divides... In the three parts, the first part is a hymn of thanksgiving, goes through the first six verses. And this hymn of thanksgiving is really an exhortation to trust in God with all your hearts. So keep your eyes, keep your heart focused on Him. He starts with a promise uh, of salvation. He says, in that day, this song will be sung. This is in the day of deliverance. So you've seen the deliver. you've seen the eschaton, right? In chapter 24, God wipes out it. Uh, the wicked you see the feast marriage supper of the lamb in 25 26 he says this is a song they're going to sing in that day in that day when this is when it's all done here's what they'll say in that day this song will be sung in the land of judah we have a strong city he sets up salvation as walls and bulwark a lot of times people ask me when we talk about the new heaven and new earth why is there a wall well read isaiah 26 why is there a wall There's a wall because Isaiah 26 says that God sets up a wall, salvation as a wall. Salvation is the wall. You're you're not in the city. There's nobody outside. Nobody comes in to to the new heaven and the new earth without having had salvation. They have a strong city. Salvation is its walls. And then listen to what he says in verse 2. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. So who gets in? The righteous. Now, Isaiah is a consistent book. According to Isaiah, who's righteous? Oh, you guys have read those parts before. So there's nobody righteous, and only the righteous can get in. So if we think about the book of Isaiah, how did Isaiah tell us an individual could enter in? He's got he's to see the Lord, right? He's got to see the Lord. The Lord has to do what? Forgive him of his sins. Remember the coal? Touch the lips. Purge your sin. Now, what was the next thing God said? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. Right? So you have, you have this progression. So, so only the righteous can get in. Now, this is typically when someone says, Oh, I'm righteous. Well, not according to the Bible. You're not righteous. You don't own your righteousness. In fact, even the martyrs under the throne are given white robes to wear. Yeah, And those white robes, according to uh, Revelation chapter 19, are the righteous acts of the saints. So we back up, where did my righteous acts come from? Well, according to Ephesians, that's what Ephesians tells us, right? That God has provided good works for me to walk in, that He ordained. They're God-ordained, they're God-empowered, they're His acts. According to Jesus, when Jesus said, when He's talking about salvation, He said... The invitation went out and the people who were invited said they were too busy. You guys remember the parable? So the invitation went everywhere, highways, byways, whosoever, come. And when they came, they all came. They they come through the gates. There's a box there full of wedding garments. You put the wedding garment on. It's not yours. It belongs to the owner of the house. He puts on his wedding garment and comes in. 
The owner of the house is looking around and he finds a guest without a wedding garment. What do we learn? If you don't have a wedding garment, what? You don't get in. We've got to be clothed in the, in the righteousness of Christ. We've got to put on Christ. That's, that's how entrance happens. So what's this, this song of thanksgiving, this exhortation to trust in God? He's our salvation, not me. He does it. It's something that we come to Him. We look to Him uh, to accomplish for us. He goes on in verse 3 to talk about peace. So once we enter in, we've come into the city. The walls are salvation. He says in verse 3, You keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. And, and how is His mind stayed on you? Because He trusts in you. So where's, where do we find peace? We find peace in keeping our minds stayed on Him. That Hebrew word stayed means to lean on. Like you can't stand yourself, you've got to lean on Him. So we're leaning on Christ, leaning on what He has provided, and when we do that, we find ourselves in perfect peace. That leaning on Him is an act of trust. We trust you. What delivered Judah from Assyria? They trusted God. What took Judah into Babylon? They didn't trust God. What got Judah conquered by Rome? They didn't trust God. You you get the, the message? You trust in Him. That's where our peace is. Our peace is when we are stayed on Him. We're leaning on Him. He says, Paul writes to us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. He says, Do not be anxious for any, anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's going to guard your hearts and mind? The peace of God. Where does that come from? From trusting in Him. From leaning on Him. Leaning on the Lord. So the condition, where do we find peace? When our mind is is stayed. We're leaning on Him. And what's the cause? Our trust. Right? Our confidence in the Lord. Then he talks about our protection. Look at verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Here's an interesting thing in the Hebrew. The word rock is the same as the word for strength. It's the same word. And so it's a, there's, a, there's at least five times where that word is translated as rock. This is one of them. That we, when we trust in the Lord, for He is our rock. The idea is He's not movable. If you go to Israel, you understand it, it, it's all rock. Everywhere you go, there's rocks. No shortage of rocks anywhere you go in Israel. Most of those are little rocks, and sometimes there's earthquakes, and little rocks fall on top of other rocks and land on people's heads. What you really want is a big rock that don't move. And that's how the Lord God is described. Trust in Him. Because He don't move. The Bible talks about the fact that God doesn't change. I appreciate that. How many of us in here have never changed our mind? Yeah, two of you. Congratulations. So, the rest of us, have in some way changed. God doesn't change. He says that He changes not. I don't. He don't change His sin, sin, unrighteousness, unrighteousness. Wicked are the wicked. The way He saves is the way He saves. None of those things change. He's a rock. He doesn't move. He stands firm. Deuteronomy thirty-two, three and four says, "For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, and ascribe greatness to our God." The rock, that's another one. The word is strength, the strength, the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. So we have this idea, the immovable rock. So what's the protection that we have? The rock is the thing that doesn't move when everything else does. When you look at Revelation in... in, uh, alongside Isaiah, what you see is, over and over again, everything in Revelation from 6 to 19, everything that can be shaken, is shaken. Which would state to 
us, if we, if we were there at the time, all that stuff's happening, this is not the rock. This is not the rock. This fell down. The government collapsed. The, the war came. Uh, pestilence came. Famine came. None of these things are the rock. All these systems that we've propped up, they're not the rock. The rock is the thing that doesn't move. So the Bible declares that that which doesn't move, that rock, is the Lord God. So we have this description. He goes on then and expresses <coughs> the praise for uh, God's judgment. So the very end of this first section, the first six verses, dealing with our hymn of thanksgiving, is the thanksgiving of God's judgment. Look at verse 5. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height and lofty city. What does the Bible say? That God will um, resist the proud and give grace to the humble, right? So Jesus said, take the humble seat so that you may be lifted up. The Bible teaches us, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. The opposite is also true. Lift yourself up in the sight of the Lord and he will bring you low. You want case in point? Nebuchadnezzar. Heard of him? Walked around like a crazy man, right? Eating grass and acting like an animal for a season, however long it was, seven years, three months, doesn't make any difference. The fact that he retained rulership in Babylon going through a period of insanity that was extended shows that it's God who's in control, not man. That was the point. So he brought... Nebuchadnezzar low, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 of Daniel goes on to praise God for his judgment, for the things that God taught him. So he says he, he brings the inhabitants of the height or the lofty city, he lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. Over and over again in Isaiah you have God's uh, butting his head against the pride of man. Anybody ever run into the pride of man? By man, I mean mankind. I know women think they don't have any, but, right? We, we butt into pride. Pride are those things that we get all hung up on. Most of you. Some of you are exceptions. Uh, verse 6, he says, The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. So all, almost as consistently the idea of bringing down the proud in God's judgment is the concept of the cause being you don't care for the poor or the needy. You didn't care about them. We, we, in Isaiah 58, right, the fast that we just concluded, the Lord said, this is the fast that I'm calling, feed the hungry, clothe the poor, take care of these who are needy. When God uh, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel, am I right? Ezekiel when he's, uh, must be 16. Ezekiel 16 when he's, uh, talking about the wickedness of Israel and Judah. And he describes Israel and Judah to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And he declares this was their crime. They had fullness of food, idleness of time, and they did not care for the poor. So these are concepts. So when he says he's bringing the proud down so that the poor walk over them, the concept is that the poor are elevated now above those who didn't have the time or couldn't be bothered to... Um, to care for them. So this is the, the end of the, the first part of the song, the beginning of the song, a hymn of thanksgiving, talking about the things that God has given, the promise of salvation, peace that comes from him, ultimately his protection and his judgment. So then we get into like the second chorus of the song, okay? So we're looking to the second chorus, picking it up in, uh, in verse 7. So now in the, in the second course, we're looking at a, a, the, a psalm of dependence. So first we have thanksgiving. We're thankful for, for what you've done, what you're doing, uh, how you judge. And then the next part of the, of the song deals with our dependence, being dependent upon the Lord. So first thing he says, he makes our path smooth. Look at verse 7. He says, the paths of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. Psalm 25, 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. What way? 
how to walk the straight road, right? The narrow path. There's a, several ways that the Bible describes the path of wisdom, right? Jesus said, wide is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life. Yeah, same kind of concept. It's all a, a metaphor describing <clears throat> how it is that we're supposed to follow God. Yeah? How many ways is there? One way. Who's it through? Jesus. Jesus. See, look, you guys get the idea. So there is a way. The Lord will teach it to sinners, and that way is level. That's a way of describing that it just goes straight. Now, oftentimes, men get on the road that God has made, the, the authority of His Word, and then they start building hills or valleys. Right? They start making things and all of a sudden you have all these additions that aren't there you never met people like that but you got to do this or you got to do that got to wear these clothes got to sing these songs no we all do it everybody that considers himself a part of the church has some form or another of tradition that was taught by man that we think is important to walking the way of god right there's, there's a couple of easy ones to, uh, to consider. Like most of the time, people will say, you know, look at it like now, looking at someone who smokes, smoking cigarettes. Oh, I thought you were a Christian. Well, what in the world does that have? One have to do with the other. Oh, well, that, don't you know that your body is the temple of God and you're putting smoke in it. Have you ever watched what the priests did in the Old Testament to the temple of God? They filled it with incense, right? They drove the priests out with the smoke. My point is, those are all cultural things that are now unacceptable. Once upon a time, once upon a time at church, you would have more people smoking, right? Used to be preacher had a pipe. You ever seen pictures of Spurgeon? So you have... These All these ideals. Now, listen, what's the point of it? The point is, those things are additions. Right? There's clear teaching of Bible. There's a lot of things we need to be clear about it. We could worry a lot about whether or not somebody's smoking, or are they loving their wife? Or are they submitted to their husband? Are they caring about the poor? Why, why do those things all fall off? Those are written in plain language. But we have, we start putting in hills. Not level ground, we start adding a hill. The same thing the Pharisees did. What did Jesus say? You guys are, are straining to catch a gnat and swallowing a camel. Right? Because you're building all these concepts. You say you make things more difficult. This is what Jesus told them. You make them more difficult than they are. And by the time you're done with the, the disciple, the proselyte, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. So that, those are harsh words, right? The Bible teaches that the way of the righteous is straight. It's level. The idea is you can see it. It's not that road that dives off to the left or the right, up or down. It's a highway lifted up so that everyone can see that's the way. <clears throat> when John came, John the Baptist, what did he declare? I'm the one who's supposed to do what? Yeah, I'm making straight paths for the Lord. You guys are going to know. What's Jesus going to come talking about? Repentant and believe. What was John talking about? Repent and believe. Do we overcomplicate that sometimes? Some people do, right? Oh, you can repent and believe. That's good. That's a good beginning. Now buy a tie. Get a belt for the love of God. Cut your hair. You cannot have a beard. What's wrong with you? You look, what is it? Kathy's gone, right? She's probably out back. I should probably stop. Is she watching the TV? Hi, babe, I love you. Yeah. Sometimes when you think twice, you should just be quiet. Smart height. I can be taught. I don't make too many promises. We get the idea. The path is level, right? That's, this is the Lord's way, okay? This is God's way, the way that He would walk. Our dependence is on Him, not on me. So it's not about what I do, what good deeds I build up, what special th- ways I make myself look. The, for the Pharisees, 
right? Jesus looked at them. They looked great. Everybody loved them. They had the best robes. They looked all special. And Jesus said, you guys are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And then he turned around and looked at the, the prostitute that was, had just knelt down in repentance before him and, de- and declared she's cleaner than they are. But she don't, she don't look as religious. You get the idea? The idea is those are outward expressions. And we are more concerned with the inward expression of being faithful and true, leaning on him, following him. And then he talks about the idea. Not only are we dependent for the path that we're supposed to walk, but we're also dependent on him for his judgments. Who's the judge? Okay, so when we go out and we share and we talk to people, be careful about making them the judge. They're not the judge. So when Peter preached the first message, the point of the first message that Peter preached was to get to this phrase. So right after he tells them, you guys all crucified the Messiah, and they were struck to the heart and they say, what should we do? He says, repent and believe. Yeah? Repent and God's the judge. A lot of times people want to put God in the docks and they want to judge God. And they say, well, God says this and God's done that and God's done this. So we're going to sit in judgment over him. And we don't have the ability to do that. You don't know what God knows. A lot of people think they do. But we don't know what God knows. God knows more than us. And so God is the judge. He sits in judgment. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Yeah. I look forward to the day of judgment. I, I, I get that it's going to be a bad day for some. And I want to do my part to try to call whoever will listen, men and women everywhere, to repent and believe. But if you won't repent, I look forward to the day of righteousness when all the nonsense gets shut down. No more are we. We waste our time. I tell you the truth, pro-life uh, Movement as it stands is woefully insufficient because we've worked on this idea of incrementalism. So we'll get little victories, little victories. And as long as we do abortions only from six weeks uh, or in this pocket, we'll, we'll be satisfied with that. It's no different. We're all up in arms because they're saying 39 weeks. Today, another state, was it Virginia, uh, declaring they want to go to 40. <laughs> so just in case the baby stays longer. Um, the idea that, the point is, once you, once you decide it has, it, it has no value or worth, then who cares? What's timing got to do with it? So the bottom line is, murder's murder, and you don't get to do it any time. Not when they're old, not when they're young, not when they're little, not when they're big. You don't get to do it. Who's the judge? God. Not you. So the day when God comes, when that gets set right, what a glorious day that will be. And I don't think it, it, <coughs> I don't think it uh, takes away from us our responsibility to stand in the gap where their, their people are rushing to... Um, to swift to shed blood, the Bible calls it, you know, to stand in the gap and declare, hey, repent, believe, turn. You don't have to do that. Righteousness trusts in what God calls righteous. Doesn't go, well, that was a cultural thing. No, it wasn't. God said we were all created in his image, true or false. Then at conception that... Fetus, which means, by the way, Latin for little child. I don't know why fetus makes people feel better, but uh, that is a, a God image bearer. 
and has value from that moment. No matter what Congress or anybody else says, or governor. And there will be a day of reckoning, right? There will be vindication. So they're waiting for and yearning for God's judgment. And then the idea of extending favor to the wicked is, you know, that it's a waste. He says in verse 10, if favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. We're so afraid to offend somebody that when that we, we water things down to the point where we're not going to offend them, well, you show favor to the wicked, he will not learn righteousness. He won't learn it. Everybody says you've got to be nice and gentle and kind, and I don't think you should be overtly psychopathic either. That's not what I'm trying to say, but you do have to plainly state what the word says. No? Otherwise, what are they going to know? In the end, what was the point? What were we there to accomplish? He says, a favor shown to the wicked, he doesn't learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly. He's, he's crooked. Don't be shocked when an unbeliever acts like an unbeliever. That's not shocking, is it? Well, of course that's how they act. Nor does he see the value or the majesty of the Lord. He doesn't see it. So what do you do? He's telling what the word says. Jonah walked through a, the city of Assyria, Nineveh, at the height of their power and was angry at God for making him go. And he walks through the town and he says, he could care less. He doesn't care if a single person listens to him. <clears throat> he says, 40 days and God's going to judge you if you don't repent. You're all dead. Well, that was a feel-good message if you ever heard one, huh? And I'm sure everybody loved the crazy-looking prophet walking down the middle of town. He gets to the end of town, and he sits up on a hillside to watch what God's going to do. Have you guys read the book? And the king hears the message, takes off his crown and his clothes, puts on sackcloth and ashes, falls down before God and repents. And God says, ah, there it is. Could have went in there just trying to sound sickly sweet, but it didn't. The truth is is truth, right? And we don't deliver the truth without love because that's brutal. We speak the truth in love, right? Because we care. So we always got to be checking our heart, what's going on. And then we got to speak the truth. What's it say? What is... What is God's word calling us to? What is God what is God telling us to deliver? We want to deliver it straight across so that the wicked can hear what they need to hear. Right? How much of that you think depended on Jonah? You think his words needed to be as carefully thought out as we think ours do? What did it depend on? Maybe God working in the hearts of those who were hearing it maybe i'm not try- i'm not saying do what jonah did but if jonah can accomplish it surely we can right but we can't be afraid to say you need jesus right we can't be afraid to say you, you need to come to the lord you need to turn to him and there's a chance they will be offended is that a hate crime it will be one day it will be. But the point is, is, is that okay? It's okay if you offend them speaking the truth in love. It's not okay if you offend them because you're a knucklehead. Yeah? You get the difference? You don't get to, you don't get to be rude, crude, mean, spirited. No. You, you, but you do get to share the truth in love. What it says. What does the Bible say? And maybe it's enough to get someone to stop and turn. Then he says in verse 11, as he continues this dependence on the Lord, he says, look what God has done. Look at verse 11. Oh Lord, (coughs) your hand is lifted up, but they don't see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. 
He's saying, let the day of vindication come. Same thing that the martyrs underneath are, on the altar are saying. What are they saying? How long, God, are you going to let them kill your people? How long? God says, a little longer. Bring vindication. They don't believe you, Lord. They don't see you. They don't see your hand lifted up. The picture is his hand is lifted up as though to strike. They don't see it. Let the fire of your adversaries consume them. Use the people around them. Use the circumstances around them. Revelation 6 through 19 talks about similar circumstances. The idea is punishment is going to come. Punishment comes from the Lord, but so does peace. Look, O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. Peace comes from God, and our ability to be and to do what God wants us to do comes from who? Him, right? So it's our trust in Him. Trust in Him. God, use me. Holy Spirit's been given to us for a reason, right? The church was told, wait here until you've been endowed with power so that you can go and be witnesses, martus, so you can be a martyr. Be filled with the Spirit so you can be a martyr. And some people think that that whole Spirit was given so you could speak in tongues. Now, I speak in tongues, so don't freak out on me. But that wasn't the point. The Holy Spirit wasn't given for parlor tricks. The Holy Spirit was given for boldness for his people so they could bear witness to the truth, so that they would have a word in season and out of season. In chapter 4, nobody ever wants to talk about Acts chapter 4. Everybody wants to talk about Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 4, the the disciples are gathered together praying, Lord, (coughs) we need boldness. They just beat us today because of our witness for you, and I don't know if I can keep doing this. And the Bible says that the ground shook and the Spirit came upon them and they were filled with boldness. The Holy Spirit's our power. It's our power to do the things that God wants us to do. To be able to accomplish the thing that God sets us to doing. For indeed, You have done for us all our works. He has prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what Ephesians says. Right? When it talks about our works. Walk in those works that God has ordained that we should should walk in them. Glorify Him. The power to be and to do the things he's, He's asking us to do is already given. We just have to walk in it. We have to walk in that which He gives. And then he says, <clears throat> verse 13, O Lord, our God, other lords beside you have ruled over us. But your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead. They will not live. They are shades. That's a word for ghosts. They are, they are shades. They are undead things drifting around in the, in the world of the undead. They, he says, they shall not arise. They're gone. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. All the people who have lorded it over them. All the enemies of the people of God that, that had power over them. They're, they're singing, well, you know what? Those guys are all gone now. They're in the grave. But you're not gone, God. You don't die. Your life eternal. You're here that we might praise you. That we might glorify you. So your name alone we bring to remembrance. There's no other name under heaven by which men, how's it go? Must be saved. That's right. That's the name. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation and you are glorified. You have enlarged the borders of the land. It's God's promise to the people. Enlarge our nation. Give us more opportunity, more authority. When the, when the, Parables, so Jesus tells the parables of the talents or the parable of the minas. What's the reward? The reward is more responsibility. Right? I'll make you ruler over ten cities. I'll give you more money to take care of. That was the talents, right? You got 
you you had five, now you have ten, now you, you can have this other guy's too. Give it to the one who has ten talents. Why? Because he's shown the ability to be responsible, to be a good steward with what God's given. God wants to enlarge the boundaries of the church, of your ministry, of my ministry, or whatever. God wants to enlarge it for who? So that they get a billboard with my face on it? Nobody wants that. What does he do it for? Why does he enlarge our boundaries, our responsibilities? Why? So that he can be glorified. Because he's worthy, right? He's the one who's given us everything we need to do it, no? So we glorify him. We exalt him. We lift his name up. Yeah, I don't care if anybody ever knows the my name or any name associated with me. I, I hope they know the name of Jesus Christ. And they can just say that that weird guy out of Buell. What's his name? I can't remember. But I hope they know Jesus Christ as a result of the things that we're doing. As a result of our reaching out. Then we talk, he talks about the, <coughs> the prayer of the wicked. Listen to them. Verse 16. <coughs> o Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. The idea is that there is a point when it's too late. What does it say in Revelation? All these things happened and still they would not repent. They do pray in Revelation chapter 6. You remember the prayer? Hide us from the Lamb. Hide us from His wrath. Not, Lord, save us. Lord, deliver me. Because the Bible says if we asked Him, He would do it. Right? Even when, even when Isaiah is being given the ministry, right? And who will go for us? And, he, and Isaiah says, here am I, Lord, send me. And the Lord says, keep talking to them, but they're not going to listen. Keep preaching. They're not going to hear. Lest they would turn to me and ask, and I would, what's he say? I would heal them. I would heal them. The point is that you have the stubbornness of the sinful heart that does not want to turn. And there are times when God, through judicial hardening, uses that to accomplish a redemptive purpose. A better redemption, a better uh, salvation comes <coughs> as a result. Men don't want to... That's why it says every knee will bow. God will make them bow one day, but not every knee won't choose to bow. Right? We can choose to bow that knee right now. He says something similar to the, the development of these things came on like uh, 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 pangs, pains on a pregnant woman. It says, like a pregnant woman who rises and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth. So are we because of you, O Lord. Yeah, Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption draws nigh. Every day, that should be what you think. Every day when you wake up, you should say, I'm one day closer to seeing Jesus. And you don't even have to have the right eschatology for that. I'm one day closer. Maybe today's the day. Lift up our head for redemption draws near. And then we're powerless to save ourselves. We were pregnant. We writhed. But we had given birth to the wind. We just have pain. But nothing, nothing comes from that pain. Right? It's just writhing. It's just sowing to the wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth and the inhabitants of the world <coughs> have not fallen. We can't save ourselves, nor can we deliver ourselves. Verse 19, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For the dew is the dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. That's the end of the second song, a song of dependence. How does our resurrection happen? According to Daniel, there's two resurrection. Resurrection to life and a resurrection to death. The resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the wicked. So everybody will stand before God again one day, right? For the for the one who believes, absent from the body, present with the Lord, immediately you're there. For everyone else, there's what the Bible calls a great white throne. And one day, the sea will give up its dead, the earth will give up its dead, the grave will give up its dead. 
And, and they will stand before their maker. That's the resurrection of the wicked. And they will be judged. Now you have the idea of the oracle of salvation, the final stanza in the song, God's protection of his people. <coughs> Isaiah 26, 20. Come, my people, enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you, hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. You have the promise of God's protection for his people. I have you. Death is not the end. Death ushers you into his presence, right? Come into my chambers. Enter these chambers. Shut the door behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while. When the wrath of God is poured out, is it poured out on the righteous? No. Does the wrath of of the wicked get poured out on the righteous? Sure. Does hard things come? Does tribulation and, and crushing happen to God's people? Yeah. Every eon. Every age. Does the wrath of God do that? No. When the wrath of God fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, what did God do first? He took Lot out. The angel, in fact, said, Lot, we can't rain judgment until you leave. And finally, what did the angel do? Grabbed him and drug him out of the city, right? And then God's judgment fell. Enter into your chambers. God knows how to deliver the righteous out of his wrath (coughs) and the wicked into it. Who's he talking to? His people. What did Jesus say? How do you become his people? By birth? No, that wasn't it, right? These are not my mother and my brothers. Who is his mother and brothers? Those who obey God, right? Those who trust in him. They're his people. They're his people. Then he goes on. Who's, this, who's the one speaking? For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. <laughs> and the earth will disclose the blood shed on it. Why is he judging the earth? What did he say? The earth will disclose what? The blood shed on it. You remember the first book in the Bible? The very first murder... It took one time for God to say, hey, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, Cain. What'd you do? Now, what's it look like after all this time? How much blood cries out? Lot, right? Well, 61 million babies since 72. And that doesn't include all the other murders we've done. That's just one category. The blood is going to uh, be disclosed and no more cover its slain. The Lord says in 27 verse 1, In that day the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Interesting. No, is that interesting? Should be interesting. Read Revelation 12. What, What does he describe Satan as? That great what? Red dragon, huh? Oh, interesting. Leviathan, twisting serpent. Hmm. Scripture would lay out for us this idea of Leviathan, of the dragon. He will slay the dragon that is in the sea. The dragon's in the sea. Sea is a symbol of chaos. <clears throat> Leviathan was a symbol in their day of the chaos monster. He was a symbol of all that's wrong with the world. And one day God's going to kill the dragon. What's Satan a symbol of? The red dragon. What's he a symbol of? All that's wrong with the world. All the sin. All the debauchery. All the rebellion. All the stuff against him. God one day is going to put that down. It is all going to get dealt with. The oracle of salvation is God knows how to deliver the righteous and the wicked to judgment. God knows. And nobody fools him. There's no trick. There's no, I'm coming in under the radar. There's no, God got good radar, dude. Nobody's doing that. He wants to save whoever, doesn't he? I think he does. I think he wants to save anyone who will call on his name. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be. So... That was always my message to people, the rebellious, the ones who are swift to shed blood. 
What's the message? Hey, God wants to. He'll forgive you. He wants to save you. He wants you to repent. He wants, to have, you, he wants you to have more than this. God has good things for you. Yeah? God will deliver the righteous, and he will deliver the wicked to judgment. And that great dragon will be slain. Yeah? Ezekiel says not only is God going to kill Leviathan, he's going to... Leviathan's going to be the food at the feast. Yeah, I don't know. Sushi? I don't know. I don't know. But the idea, the idea, right? Evil will be utterly destroyed. No more on the face of the earth. Isaiah talks about it in 24, 25, 26. Revelation talks about it. 6 through 19, new heaven and new earth in 21 and 22. So this is not a new plan. This is God's plan all along. Amen? Amen. All right, why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. (laughs) Hmm. Father God, we just lift this time to you, Lord. We do thank you for the truth of your word. God, help us to just hear what it is that the Spirit is speaking to the church, Lord. Your word declares throughout the seven letters to the seven churches, let him who has ears to hear, hear. What the Spirit is speaking to the church. And when you speak to us, God, may we be obedient to do and to be who it is you're calling us to be. Not afraid, for you will give us what we need for whatever is going to come before us for this day. So you don't give us a commandment without giving us an enablement. What you ask us to do, you empower us to do. So God, may we walk the level road. May we follow the narrow path. May we enter through the narrow gate. May we hear what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So God, I pray not only that we come to you, that we bow our knee to you, but that we follow you. Looking forward to deliverance one day, but until that day comes, may we be watchmen on the wall sounding the trumpet there will be a day God will judge and that day is too late so now today is the day of salvation now is the time God be glorified as we look to you in Jesus name we pray Amen Without you, I fall apart.